Come on, if Jesus has changed your life, give him a good shout of praise this morning. Man, I love what Jesus does when he walks into the room. Everything changes. Amen. Hallelujah. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, if you don't mind, to Matthew chapter number 28. And as uh, Pastor Corey mentioned a few minutes ago, we're launching into a new series called May Day. And isn't it convenient that it's the month of May as we're launching into May Day? And it is the month of May. And so next Sunday is Mom's Day on May Day series. And so don't forget your Mother's Day next Sunday. And we're going to say it like 500 times because we know that repetition Amen. Is the best way to learn and remember something. So next Sunday is Mother's Day. Come and take some fun photos with mom, some serious photos with mom, and take that photo that like 20 years from now, you're like, wow, I can't believe we wore that to church on Mother's Day back in 2019. We are kicking off a series called May Day today, and the title of this morning's message is, What's the Emergency? Because you do not cry May Day unless there is an emergency. And we're going to read a very common passage of Scripture. And I'm a, uh, I guess a fear that I have right now is that this passage of scripture has been quoted so much, it's become so common that it's become ineffective, not because the word of God is ineffective, but we've become too familiar with maybe a passage of scripture. And so I believe this with all my heart that God puts it in a verse so we can give it a voice. Amen. God puts something in a verse that we are supposed to give a voice to. So he wrote it down for all of creation to have for all of eternity until he brings us all back home. But if he wrote it in a verse, we're supposed to give it a voice. And a lot of times we like to give it a voice, but we don't like to let our feet do the talking. We like to just say something about it. But I believe it's supposed to be more than just a speaking about it. It's supposed to give voice to our life. We're supposed to give voice to a verse and walk it out and watch what God will do and change and impact the society around us. And so when you found Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16 is where we'll start out in this. Um, this is going to be, like I said, a common passage of scripture, but it's going to set us up for what we're going to accomplish over the next three weeks. And today's purpose of this message is to lay out a case. We're laying out a case, and so I'm going to tell you all the things that we're building up to so we can answer them over the next three Sundays. So everybody say, I'm going to be here the next three Sundays and catch all four messages in this amazing series and I noticed how it kept dropping off because some of you knew you were lying because you know you're not going to be here all four Sundays and statistics will prove that out shortly amen but no I really want you to be here and watch what God does as he gives you the answer to a common problem that we have today and it's not just a common problem anymore it's entered into the realm of what I call a mayday problem an emergency type situation so Matthew chapter number 28 verse number 16 says this now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and given unto me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always until the end of the age and now we read this passage of scripture and by the time we got to the end some of you had already quit reading you already had it just circulating through your head because you had heard it so many times but as I read this I watch what the disciples did the disciples disciples came to a mountain to worship where Jesus was but Jesus said if you're really going to worship me it's not coming to a place to sing a song to me it's going to go tell others about me yeah. 
So our true worship, it's got to become more than coming to a church, coming to a mountain, coming to a place where we reference Jesus and sing a song to him. Jesus begins to categorize what true worship is. He says he wants you to come to him, to get empowered to him, so you can go tell others about him, which will equate in the worship of him. Amen. Amen. And so what I need us to begin to understand is the disciples begin to show us a common issue in the church today that's just beginning to be cyclical. We build a system that they come to us to worship him. When Jesus said, if you're going to worship me, you can come to me so I can empower you so you can tell others about me, which is really the worship of me. Because whatever you truly begin to worship, you talk about. Many of you, when football season comes around, you worship the team with the star on their helmet, right? And you were disgruntled when they built the new stadium in Arlington because you didn't think it had an open top for God to look down on America's team, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about here? They haven't been that, that prominent in a while, so they... What you worship is what you talk about a lot. And I know, and I, or I don't know, but I wonder how many people truly say they worship Jesus, but we never go talk about Jesus to people. People will know what is most important to you by how much you talk about it and how you talk about it. If you go to work all the time talking about how bad your kids are, they know you don't worship them, but they know there's something in your life that's there at least. Some of you talk about your favorite sports team, whether it be college or NFL or, or baseball or whatever, and we talk about it nonstop, and, and they literally become how they identify you as. So when will the world begin to identify the church once again as people who talk about Jesus not go to a place and say we worshiped him? I'm going to say it to this side because that side was rather quiet. When will the world begin to identify us again as people who go out of a place and talk about Jesus rather than come to a place and sing a song to Jesus? To prove that we truly worship him it's got to be more than a song in our heart it's got to be footsteps in our feet that we go talk about and tell the power of God about because Jesus said this you basically have come to a mountain to worship me but I'm going to give you authority to go tell others about me and so if we're going to switch a trend that is very common in America that's called a that's caused a mayday crisis we're going to have to realize that just coming here is not the finality. In fact, it's the empowering of going out there for true worshiping. And I want us to leave the house of God and go truly worship rather than come to the house of God and think this is just our only place of worship. It is a place of worship, but not the only place of worship. If the only time I worship God is when I come together here with you, I'm falling very short. In fact, about 167 hours short of all the times I should be worshiping Jesus. So with that, what is a mayday? Mayday is this. Mayday is an emergency procedure word used internationally as a distress signal in voice procedure radio communications. 
So that means over the radio, whether you're flying an airplane or whether you're on a ship and you begin to get in a life-threatening situation like the airplane's about to go down or the ship's about to sink. How many of y'all can relate to some of that in life? The proverbial ship you're on looks like it's about to start taking on some water. The airplane you're in is not flying at the altitude that it used to and and you're feeling like that you're losing some of the momentum of life and you're about to enter a place called Mayday. And it's a radio procedure that people call out over the radio when a life-threatening situation occurs that is beyond their control and beyond their ability to fix it but they need help with it so they begin to call out mayday to get help to transfer their life-threatening situation hopefully into a success story or a profoundly amazing miraculous situation so what a mayday distress call does is in, uh, it is used to signal life-threatening emergency uh, situations primarily in aviators or mariners, but in some countries it's also used by firefighters, police forces, and transportation organizations. They also use the term. But the thing about this call is this. It's always given out in a row of three calls. It's never just mayday. It's always mayday, mayday, mayday. We need some help. We're going Okay, some of y'all got that. I'll try that again. Mayday, mayday, mayday. We need some help. We're going down. And so the mayday call is always called out in calls of three. And I find that very um, intriguing because in the scriptures, anytime in the Jewish culture when they would use something in a row of three like that, it means perfection in whatever they're saying. So when the angels of God are sitting around the throne right now and it says day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It means God is perfect in holiness. So if we in the church are entering into a stage where we're calling out mayday, 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 it must mean that we are in the perfect crisis or perfect storm of a church age that we must begin to reverse the trend. And so today we're building the case of the trend. The next three weeks we're going to answer the trend. And so let's jump on this thing and let's find out what God's got in store for us. And so welcome to a new era. And what is the emergency? The emergency is this. It is the new era. For the first time in American culture, we are literally a post, literally, and I'll say this, and factually, a post-Christian culture. So what does that even mean? We use terms like this all the time. You see them in news media. You can see it on uh, like Christianity Today or or Christianity.com and all some of these uh, magazines and Christian articles that write. But what does that actually mean? It means for a society that has been rooted in history and in culture and in practices of Christianity, but uh, but in which these beliefs of religious Christianity have now either been rejected, disregarded, or forgotten, it is the loss of the primacy of Christian worldview in the world or national political affairs. So Joel's definition of it is this. I'll simplify it real good. My definition of a post-Christian culture is this. God always used to be the first thought. Now he is simply the afterthought. God always used to be our first reference of where to go to for direction. But now he's simply the afterthought when we're out of direction to go to for something else. For example, when uh, uh, 100 years ago, when, well, let's, not, not really 100, let's go back a little bit farther. Let's go about 200 years ago. When the major literary source of teaching kids how to read in school was literally the Bible, they would teach kids how to read out of the Bible in school, and the Bible is simply written on a sixth grade education level, okay? 
So majority of you guys who say, I don't understand the Bible, I'm gonna say, yes, you really do understand the Bible, but you gotta pour yourself into it before it'll pour itself into you. The Bible is not beyond your comprehension. The Bible is not beyond your intelligence level. It's simply we haven't poured ourselves into it and it hasn't been able to pour itself out into us. And so with this, as the Bible was always a major uh, 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 educational tool to teaching people how to read, most people, whenever a crisis would occur, their first response would be, well, what does the Bible say? Now when we're in a crisis, our response is, well, what does Google say? My kids had a question the other day, and we weren't around to answer it, and they got the right answer. And I said, how did you come up with that? Siri told us, Dad. <laughs> Siri gave us the answer. Or Alexa, or whatever the devices you have in your house. We got them all, so if Dad doesn't know it, Dad's got an option. We got Google, Siri, Alexa, you know. They're all my best friends now when math problems come up. And so with that, where the Bible used to be the first source of us turning to it for an answer or to get direction, it is now the afterthought, and it's not until everything else has failed, well, let's open up this old ancient book and let's find out if it really has something to say about my problem. And many of us don't open the scripture till May Day has already gone past May Day and it became a June day, right? Come on, that's next month. That means it's dead. The May Day collapsed it, right? And so with that, in a post-Christian era that we live in, the Bible has become the afterthought. Turning to God has become the last resort, not our first option. Calling out to God when we need an answer only comes after we've talked to our mom and then our in-laws and then our parents and then our relatives and then finally we get to the pastor and then finally we call on God. I'm going to tell you to flip that script, please. Because there's a lot of people who come to us as staff and say, help, I need an answer. And the first question we ask is, have you talked to God about it? And you would think we are asking them a question in Mandarin Chinese. <laughs> They're like, well, why would I do that? You're the pastor. I come to you for an answer. That's not how God designed it. And so even in the church, God has become the afterthought, not the first thought. We'll address and ask everyone else for where the answer should come from. And then when nobody can supply us with the right answer, then we'll turn to Almighty God, whether we believe Him or not. And so what we want to address here in this, in this series is we're going to find out what the Mayday crisis is that we're in right here in our own church, right here in our own city. And with this, most of the messages that I preach are geared towards the believer sitting in the chair. 90% of the messages that I preach are geared for the believer sitting in the chair to help you have a better faith-filled walk with Christ. And so you can walk out your giftings and callings and the things of God. The messages I'm going to preach over the next four weeks are for the non-believer that's not even in the building that you're supposed to go bring to them. And so with that, I'm preaching to you in the chairs. And if you really want a life change, you'll go tell them about Jesus because there's something that happens when you move from theology to authority. We talked about this in the whole last series. We want you to move from knowing about Christ and sitting in a chair to worship him to going and telling people about Christ and experience true worship of him. Yeah. And so with that, we want you to begin to understand that the messages that I'm preaching are in this house today are for the non-believer who are not here, but it's our job to go bring it to them. And so before you leave here today, I want you to develop a spirit of follow-through within you. 
that when I get done with church, I'm actually just starting Christianity. Come on, somebody. I'm going to go to this side. <laughs> Student ministries help me out a little bit. When we get done with church, we're actually just starting Christianity. We're actually just starting the walking out of the worship of God and telling people about Jesus. See, this is a great gathering, but this isn't the be-all, end-all. This is an equipping and an authoritative thing where God puts things into your life so you can go out and change the world, not just have a good life. Most people come to church just so they can have a good life, and I would say that's a rather self-centered way of approaching Christianity. Jesus didn't come to this earth so he could have a good life. He came to this earth so you could have a good life. And if I've died to myself and I no longer live and it's Christ that lives within me, I don't come to church for me to have a good life. I come to church to get equipped so somebody else can have a better life. Come on, somebody. I'm on preaching. We're going to go after it today. Maybe we'll have to go recruit a whole new church next week, but... No, I'm just kidding. Y'all are going to get this. And I believe that God, this is a timely word through, through what happened in Upper Room last night and through what God has been speaking to our staff over the last month. This is so pivotal to, this, to where God is bringing our church. And so what is the major issue that we're facing today? And I want to start off talking about something called old model versus new model. Old model versus new model. We are largely doing church on a model that was initiated around 500 years ago. They contain the same things in some sort of order, such as a prayer, three-ish songs, four, if you're heavily charismatic Pentecostal, maybe seven or eight. If you're not so much, maybe two, right? But some sort of song reference in there. Come on, that was funny. You know it was. <laughs> some sort of song reference. There's a reading and, 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 a, and a delivery of the scripture. There's a time of response, whether if you were raised Methodist, we would have responsive readings in the church. If, if you were raised more charismatic, your response is you come to the altar and you don't leave for a couple hours. If you Come on. That's true. I've been in all of them. Hey, listen, I was born again as a Methodist. I was immersed and baptized at First Baptist here in Sulphur Springs. I got spirit-filled before I was even um, even knew what spirit-filled was, but then I went to a charismatic church for a long, long time, then I quit going to church, and then I started a church. So if you want to have a conversation about a messed up person with church, I'm your man. I've got a little bit of it all running through my veins. And so I'm not making fun of anybody, but I'm hoping to draw everybody in to the fact that the way we do church, whether you be crazy, charismatic, or Pentecostal, or you're very liturgical in your methods and methodology of it, largely church hasn't changed in 500 years. Maybe our expressions have a little bit. Maybe we've added some electricity and some sounds and some lights, and we went from hymnals to, to screens. And do y'all remember using hymnals growing up? I know you do because you sang, How Great Thou Art, like it was nobody's business this morning. <laughs> Woo! Missy and you have a note strummed. Oh, Lord, my God. Y'all just went off like, Ah, Jesus! <laughs> Come on, somebody. And it hit. Boy, I'm telling you. Come on, Miss. Y'all done did it in on that song, bro. I'm telling you. And then they have a prayer of ending and a charge and conclusion, and you go. Come to church saying, God, bless my life so I can go have a good life, and I can leave and mind my own business, and Lord God, we're going to live a good, content life. But that's not what the word meant by live a content life. That's not what God was doing. Now listen, church has been, church has been largely done the same for the past 500 years. But listen, in the, year, um, in the year 1886, the first automobile was invented. In the year 1908, Henry Ford began the mass production of the automobile. The last 120 years, look how much automobiles have changed. 
You don't even have to drive them anymore. Hey, I can't parallel park it. It's all right. Take your hands off the wheel. We'll do that for you. And you just watch the wheel spin. You backing up a trailer? We got backup assist. Take your hands off the wheel. We'll do it better than you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No Amen. Come on, somebody. <laughs> there ain't no shame in that game. I just wish I could afford it. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, you don't even got to close your own doors. It's like, just hit a button. And it's like, they close. Look how much automobiles have changed in the last 120 years. From barely going on 20, 20 miles an hour, and Henry Ford said you can have any color car you want as long as it's black, to, that's what he said. Somebody literally went to Henry Ford. I haven't studied Henry Ford's life. It's very awesome. Um, it, somebody came to him and said, Henry, what are we going to do if somebody wants a car that's a different color? So they can have any color they want as long as it's black. That's a genius. You'll catch that here in a minute. And so, but look how much they've changed. You can talk to your car and it'll do things for you, right? You, you, I get in my truck and it's an old truck and I sit down and my Bluetooth automatically connects to the, to the um, radio system and it starts playing some messages that I've been listening to or starts playing music that's on my playlist. I mean, I don't even have to do it and I, don't, I, I get irritated. <laughs> And I don't, even, I don't even have to text into my phone. I'm like, I just talk into it, and it does the texting for me. Come on, I mean. And what I get irritated with is when it's on Bluetooth, and I got to talk, and the radio doesn't catch up to my speech, and it doesn't get to my phone fast enough. First world problems here. Nobody else deals with this. But the church, the church hasn't changed roughly in 500 years. And I'm mad that the radio can't keep up with how fast I'm talking to a machine that talks to another machine that'll type out what I said so I can hit send. I don't have to hit it. I can just say send, and it'll go to another person who can read it in less than a second. But the church hasn't changed in 500 years. This little device right here, if iPhones or the iPhone brand and Samsung don't come out with a new one of these every two years, they're bankrupt. They're going bankrupt if they don't come out with a brand new one that's innovative, better. Now you don't even have buttons on them at all, like this little button here that turns it on and off for me because it's an old phone. They don't even have those anymore. Like I got this, I got, I got an iPad because I broke my other one and I don't even, I didn't know how to turn it on at first because it didn't have a button. <laughs> Quit laughing, Corey. <laughs> I mean, really? Jerrica, you better talk to your husband. But seriously. And that brings me to an even better point. Do you remember how you used to have to make a phone call? 30 years ago, I'm talking, you'd be walking down the hall and because it's still hooked to the wall, right? Like the phones were hooked to the wall. We were walking down the street the other day with the kids and there was this pay phone that was on the wall and it was out of use, obviously it was out of use, you know? And it was there and my kids said, dad, what is that? It's a phone hooked to a wall that you put quarters in and you can call somebody. And they're like, can't we try it? I'm like, no, we got a phone right here. We already paid for the whole service plan. Right? And y'all remember those party lines when you're on it too long and somebody else bleeps in or, or you're on it too long and you couldn't get, couldn't get a hold of somebody. You just call the operator. And you remember the operator? Hey, can I? And they buzz through. Hey. There's an emergency, right? You remember that? 
I mean, it's all this crazy stuff that we laugh about now, but we're so glad it's changed. And then we got really modern that the base was hooked to the wall, but you had the phone that you could pull the antenna up about that tall. Yeah, now we can go 20 feet from the base. Don't have to worry about getting, right? You don't gotta worry about the whiplash when you go too far. But then you go too far, go around the wall, it's like. It's like, oh wait, I gotta get back where I can get some reception. Right? It was the first, can you hear me now? Right? <laughs> and with this whole process, we, we love the innovations of every part of our life. Church has not changed in 500 years, roughly, the way we do church. Pre-poem and say, go in the world for Jesus. I hope it doesn't inconvenience you too much. We sing three songs and an anthem, and then we respond, and then we go. And you know what really caught me off guard the other day? Really caught me off guard is there was a family who came to church the other day that my, my nine-year-old son invited them to church. And I was so proud. You have like, whoo, pastor's son inviting people to church. Whoo, I'm raising them right. Hear the rest of the story. The reason he came to church is because every when we, they got certain days that they can play Xbox on. Okay, well, I don't let them play 24-7, but there's certain days that they can play it when they get home from school. And every time when it's a Wednesday and he's playing Xbox, he's playing with this certain kid. And for those of you who don't know about Xbox, they have these headsets on now that they're talking to their friends while they're playing a game all at the same time. And my kids play with the youth pastor's kids. And I mean, they're, 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 it's awesome. I don't touch it because I'm, I'm afraid to look antiquated. But they're doing really good at it. And this family came to church and they were so happy to see Caleb and, and, and all. And, and it's like they got to meet him finally. And they said, we said, well, how did you hear about us? And they're like, well, well, Caleb, well, how did he tell you? Well, every Wednesday, he always tells our son, hey, I got to get off. I got to go to church. I got to quit playing. I got to go to church. I got to stop. I got to go to church. Hey, listen, I really got to go. Dad's about to get mad. I got to get to church, right? <laughs> Well, he did that every week for several weeks, and the family shows up at church because the kid got so curious about, curious about what is this thing called church? And I would have never thought to say, Caleb, invite all your friends to church through Xbox. I'm the old school dad, even though I don't look that old, says, would you quit playing Xbox so much? But he is using it as an avenue, completely unintentional, by just telling people his lifestyle, I've got to go to church. I've got to go to church. It got this one kid so curious about going to church that their family actually showed up on church for Easter Sunday. And it blows my mind because I'm sitting here thinking of the crisis in my head of he's using it unintentionally to display his lifestyle in a way that's drawing people to Christ, but I'm mad at his lifestyle because there's more important things than Xbox. Do you understand the great, the great tension that's here? The problem is not the tension that's here. The problem is not a dad recognizing it for what it can be within limitations of what it should be to help him reach all that he could be. And so in your life, if the tr vehicle has changed this much in 120 years, cell phones got to change every two years or bankruptcy happens. We're so glad that the house phones have changed and everything's gone on there. What about the church? 
what do we got to do to make sure that we are catching up with the rest of society? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Now, everybody look at me. Don't look down. Don't look at your phone. Everybody look at me. The gospel message of Jesus Christ never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But if 30 years ago you would have told me your son is going to make sure somebody comes to church by playing Xbox with them, I would have said, what's an Xbox? So our innovative ways of bringing the gospel out of worship, bringing the gospel out to show worship, have got to be rapidly progressing because with what we're doing, Jesus built a go-to-them system, and we've got a come-to-me model that we're trying to implement. So the message never changes, but our innovative ways of getting our worship out there has got to become massively progressive in how we do it if we're ever going to catch the trends that I'm about to tell you about. So with that, we have a, we have a, um, a place that, that we got an old model versus a new model. And why is this model failing is the big question. This model is based on people coming to church all the time. This model is based on 150 to 160 church encounters a year. That means you actually show up to 150 to 160 times a year at this building to hear about God and hear from God. Right. It happened when I was a kid. We would go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And if you're sick, you better be dying sick, not just a little sick, because we're going to church. We would go to church 150 to 160 times a year. Revival would come, and it wasn't a two-day revival or a four-day revival. That's not even the start of a revival. It was a seven-day to ten-day revival. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? If you've been there, raise your hand real high. Let me know I'm not alone. Now... We've gone from 150 to 160 encounter face-to-face model to 12. Average church attendance in America, according to Barna, in the year 2017, average church attendance is one church encounter a month. Average church attendance nationwide in America is showing up to church one time a month. And you're the normal. So that means the abnormal, the bad church member... (laughs) Come six times a year, every other month. It means the great church member, which a lot of TWBC is great because our church attendance, uh, we average two, 2.1 to 2.4 Sundays a month with our, with our congregation. That means our congregation roughly comes 2.1 to 2.4 times a month to our Sunday morning worship services. This isn't counting our Wednesday night. So that actually bumps it way up some. And so I'm very excitingly happy about that for our church. But it also goes to say that 43% of people in our society nationwide are completely unchurched. 34% are de-churched, which means they used to attend church, but now they want nothing to do with church. Because we made church about this. You come to this place to worship when Jesus said, you come to this place to encounter me. You go out and tell people about me, which is your worship of me. And so with that, we've got to begin to change how we're thinking about this. Now, listen, 73% of people in America self-identify as Christians, but 31% are practicing, which means they come to church one of the 12, or 12 times a year. But listen, that 31% that are practicing, that is made up of Protestants and Catholics, not just the Protestant church. 
For those of you who may be new to the church culture, when we use the term Protestant and Catholic, Catholic is the, it's the Catholic organization um, and, you know, the Catholic church that, that, that's, out, that, that's there. And um, it's a whole spectrum of church growers in this way. Protestants believe differently about the scriptures. So you got the Protestant church. So basically you got Catholic churches, which, a, which is basically 25% of the earth's population. Then you got the Protestant churches, which is every other church that's out there imaginable that we would say believes in God, don't believe in God, believes like us, don't believe like us. We're going to categorize them as a church, though. And that makes up with Protestants and Catholics together 31% that actually go to church on average 12 times a year. Mayday. 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 There is a crisis in the land that we need to become very aware of and have an eye-opening thing uh, happen to us where we encounter God again and say, God, we are in a place that there needs to be a massive transformation of bringing us people here to get your gospel to getting your gospel here and bringing you out there to those who actually need the gospel. We've got to flip the script. We've got to change what we're doing. We've got to switch our approach to instead of coming to church to get something, I come to church to celebrate who God is. I leave church to go get something for the kingdom of God by telling people uh, about Jesus and bringing them into the kingdom of God. We're moving to knowing about God, to experiencing God in all that we do. 80% of churches in America are declining or dying. 80% are declining or dying. 17% of churches are growing, but it's only by transfer of membership. People who haven't gone to church in a while need to find a new church home. Praise God. They found a home at TWBC. People who uh, maybe a, a, a thing happened and you, and, you, and, and you knew your season was done and you come to TWBC. We love it. We're so grateful for it. 17% of churches are growing, but it's only by transfer of membership. We're in that category. I praise God that we're growing. Only 3% of churches are growing by actual lost people being saved being the majority of their growth. We don't fit that category. That, that's, that's not an amen. That's an oh me. That's an oh me because that means most of our growth is coming from people who are already born again looking for a place to belong, which is awesome. But that means the people who find a place to belong love where they belong so much they don't want anybody else infringing on where they belong. And we won't go out and get those who don't belong when they actually do belong. They just haven't realized they belong. So we got to go get them and show them that they do belong by telling them about Jesus. We are not growing as a church by lost people being saved at TWBC. That breaks my heart. We're growing as a church, which I'm very pleased with, by people coming and finding a place to belong, which is awesome. We want that. We need that. But I want to see this 3%. I want to see us keep the 17% and, and, and enter into that top 3%, though, and let us be a church that we know that people belong here. So let's go get them and show them they belong and let them have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And let's move into that 3% level that we're growing by lost people being saved and people being saved and walking into discipleship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said a lot more than go get them saved. He said, go and make them disciples or people that actually follow me more than 12 times a year. So we've got to begin to change where we're going and how we're heading. Now, in TWBC, we have 25 church encounters a year, which is basically 2.1 Sundays a month that people actually come. But listen to this. If we wanted 50 people, 
50 people, our staff spent a day and a half working on and collaborating on this series of messages that we're going into called Mayday. And we found out if we wanted 50 people to get born again, find a place to belong, and start walking with Christ in a discipleship relationship, if we wanted 50 of them to do that over the next seven years and truly begin to walk out a plan of discipleship, it would take 1,000 encounters for 50 people to enter that trend at the rate of uh, a Sunday every other month or a Sunday every other week. So that means for one person to come to the house of God, get born again and start walking out discipleship process and us to repeat that 50 times, it takes all of us and bringing them into the house over a thousand times before they become a person who is truly following and stable in their Christian walk where they'll go out and bring somebody into Christ. That's huge. So a thousand encounters for 50 people to get born again and start walking out their discipleship walk with Christ. If we want a family to be walking with Christ at the age of 32 and have a spouse and two kids, we've got to start giving them encounters at the age of 24 in the house of God. We've got to start bringing them into the house of God for the first time at 24 if we want them to be a stable, contributing family that follows after Christ and reaches other people by the age of 32. Is anybody else alarmed by this? Is anybody else thinking, Mayday, this is impossible? This is an impossible task. It's not impossible. But we got to be intentional. Because what is impossible to what looks like the world, that's why it's called a mayday, because somebody from the outside can come in and change what we're struggling with within. And so what we want to do here this morning is the model that we're dealing with here today is, is what I mentioned earlier. It's failing because we built a come-to-me model when Jesus set up a go-to-them system. The worst crisis that anybody can be in is the crisis you are unaware of and the crisis you do not see. Before I started this message, many of you did not see this crisis. You were very unaware of this crisis. You thought, surely everybody comes to church way more than, than once a month. Surely everybody's involved with the relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact is, when we went knocking doors for Easter, inviting people to Easter, one out of every two households did not have a church home. And I got this response from one house when I knocked on the door. I said, hey, we want to invite you to Easter services this Sunday at TWBC. We want you to come to church with us. His response was this to me. What is church? No, this, isn't the apart this is the apartment complex right across the interstate. You got the three big ones right on the interstate. It's one of those three. I got that exact answer. And your pastor responded to him like this. Um, I was so caught off guard by that question that somebody in my own city, and I'm calling it my city because I'm claiming it for Jesus, in my own city doesn't even know what church is, much less know who Jesus is, much less knows a path to get to it, and even knows why they should come to it. They believe a gas station is more valuable to them than a church. And the fact is there's over 120 churches in this county that people can go to, and there's only about 40 gas stations that people can go to, yet they visit a gas station about twice a week they don't even know what a church is. 
The greatest crisis that there is is the one you do not know about and the one you cannot see. The trend I'm talking to you about today, the mayday that I'm talking to you about this morning is the carbon monoxide of our generation. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas which can cause sudden illness and even death. The trend that we are in right now, the mayday moment we're in right now is the carbon monoxide of our day. It's the time when the church thinks everything is good and because our church is growing and doing well and by and large we see them on every street corner within our county because there's 120 of them we think everybody knows about church everybody has a church home when the facts are because we've knocked on the doors ourselves at TWBC and realized 48 percent of our population within the city limits of Sulphur Springs Texas has no church home and has no affiliation with God the Father Almighty and does not know who Jesus Christ is it is the carbon monoxide of our day it is the colorless, odorless gas that we don't even realize we're breathing in and the church will experience illness and sudden death if a trend is not changed. But I find hope. I'm not just going to bring you a bunch of bad news. But I find hope. How many of y'all have ever been in a mayday in your life? A mayday in your marriage? A mayday with your kids? A mayday in your career? I'll never forget the May Day that, that we were in at TWBC right after we built this building. And right after we built this building, like the platform wasn't here. It didn't look good. It was just a flat floor. It wasn't even stained. It was just bare, ugly concrete. And, and, and the, the balcony wasn't finished. And, and the sound booth didn't look near as good as it does. And the kitchen wasn't finished. And, and we just had carpet in the classrooms. We didn't have them all even finished out with stuff over there. And, and I'll never forget the May Day that happened about four months after we moved into this building. I walked into the building that morning and the, the person who was here doing the, the, the accounting, the, this person worked 20 hours, they worked 40 hours a week, got paid for about 10 hours a week because they were part-time even though they were working full-time, right? And I walked in and this person said, Joel, we got, we got a, a, a problem. And I said, well, what's, what's the matter? It can't be that big of a problem. I like, well, it's kind of a little bit bigger problem than, than you may realize. <laughs> And when they began to tell me about the problem, I realized it wasn't just a problem, it was a mayday issue that we were facing. We had a, we had a, a real low attendance Sunday, the, sun, the, the, the day before, and this was Monday, and we walked into the building, and we had bills that were on the, the, the desks that were due, and, and we didn't have near enough money that came into the offering to pay the bills, much less give anybody paychecks or anything like that. And, and I remember looking at the stack of bills and I remember seeing there was just a little over $500 in our church checking account. A little over $500. And I said, I looked at this person, I said, I'm gonna go pray because I believe God's got this. I walked down to my office, I closed the door and I was like, oh God, I hope you got this. <laughs> right, that's the mayday, that's how a mayday works, right? I mean, I started pulling out all the scriptures. God, you wouldn't bring us all the way out here to leave us? You know, I was like, the, I, was the, I was the unfaithful people following Moses, right? God, you wouldn't bring us all the way to the Red Sea just so you, we would drown. And yet the, the, the Pharaoh and his armies at our back and the Red Sea's at our front. And there's no way for us to go. God, if you're even alive, would you hear us, right? I was that. 
The, the people going into the promised land, that was those people, the 40 people in the wilderness. There were the 40 years in the wilderness that they wandered, and, and they're about to go into the promised land, and they get into the promised land, or they spy out the promised land. It's like, oh, God, these people are giants, and they're killing us. And my prayer was literally, oh, God, I know you can, but in my heart it was more like, oh, God, why did you bring us out here to this God-forsaken 2560 road on this pasture where there's absolutely nothing but barren land, and you brought us out here in the middle of ever going to come and nobody's ever going to find this building and who we are god i don't know what to do i need your help i'm being you know that's how it was i was being honest that's your man of faith right there leading the church i'm telling you and there's a specific organization that we supported on a monthly basis at the time and god said i want you to write them a 500 dollars check and i said god that's all we got and he said good that's all you need that sounds good when you're sitting in the chair 10 years later. It didn't sound good that morning when I was like, I literally went to the office to the person. I said, write this organization a $500 check. I'm so proud of this person's faith. They didn't question me for a moment. I said, our need is greater than our income, so we're going to sow a seed. And we sowed a seed into that organization. And it wasn't, we didn't get a $10,000 check the next day. There is money that came in through the rest of the week and it covered all the bills. Since that day, it's progressively increased and we have never lacked a penny at the church. We're debt free today. God is doing awesome stuff and it's amazing. But in the moment, it was a mayday, it was a crisis. It was beyond my control. It was beyond anything that I could do. It's beyond anything that I could even fathom could happen. I was ready. I was thinking in my head when I said, write the check. I said, write it by faith. And I was thinking, I got to go find another job. I said, I'm just being honest with you, man. I mean, that's what May Days are like. I mean, I can stand up here in life. You say, and you know, God was so good. And I never doubted a minute. I, I, I had faith for about a minute. The minute I said, write the check is the only amount of faith I had. Then I walked out and I cried and sitting in my vehicle, right sitting out there in that parking lot that was white rock and it wasn't even paved. I just sat there crying. I said, God, you didn't bring us this far. You didn't bring us across the interstate. You didn't have us build this thing for it to fail right in front of our eyes. You didn't do it. And I'm telling you, as we give offerings today, it's Legacy Sunday today, and, we're, and you're going to see some stuff coming out about the new building here in the next couple months, and that, that's going to start being built right over there. And I'm telling you, we're not in a mayday place today, but I remember that moment of faith so well back then, and I see where the church is today about people coming to a place to worship instead of going out there to worship and, 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 and bring worship to God, that I'm in the same place of saying, oh God, only you can do something about this. So here's our seed. And here's the seed from God's word that I want to give you. And it's out of a very unlikely place. It's out of Job chapter 14. You'll do good to write this down and go back and read it 500 times. And Job chapter 14, verse number 7. It says, for there is hope for a tree. And I'm just going to give this word, and I'm already late, so who cares? I'm going to give this word anyway. Some of you are sitting in this house this morning thinking, God, I just wish I felt like I belonged. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. Because there's hope for a tree that's here. The Bible calls people in the Bible trees. Psalm 1 says, You're like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. You're not the wicked. You're in the house of God this morning. There's hope for you. 
The Bible likens a believer to an oak of righteousness, the Bible says. Jeff's got a great message on trees, and I wish he'd preach it. He got the weeping willows in the church, right? You got the pine trees that are the sappy ones in the church. You know what I'm talking about? He's got a great message out. I'll have to let him preach it sometime. It's awesome. But the Bible calls you an oak. And I'm telling you, if you don't feel like you belong or feel that this is home this morning, I'm going to give you a verse this morning that's fixing to bring you hope. Because even though you're a tree that says there's hope for a tree, if it be cut down, some of you feel cut down, you're in a place of despair, you have no hope, you don't even know what's going on. If it be cut down, there's hope that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. For though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump, it dies in the soil. Some of you are like, am I just sitting here to die? Because you're hurting so bad on the inside. Though its roots grow old and it dies even in the soil. Everybody say yet. See if you got my Bible. This is where it's awesome, man. It's like God wrote this like a theatrical play. It's like you're in the middle of it. It says, for there's hope for a tree. If it be cut down, then it will sprout again. And if its shoots will grow up and it will not cease. Though its roots are old in the earth and its stump is about to die in the soil. What's that? It's like, turn the page. Yet. Yet. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been in that place where I thought we were going to die in the moment. And God said, yet at the scent of water. Listen to what it says. At the scent of water or rain, it will begin to bud again and put out branches like a young plant once again. Come on, somebody. At the smell of it. At the scent of rain, God says. See, in, 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 in Jerusalem, in the land over there, the land is so rich in soil that an old stump that's rotted in the ground, that if the smell of rain beginning to happen, it'll begin to bud again. It doesn't even have to start raining yet. See, a lot of the body of Christ is waiting for this great ladder rain. I'm telling you, I smell the rain coming, and it's time to start budding, and it's time to start going out and telling people about Jesus because the harvest is plentiful. It's time for us as the workers to say, I'm smelling what God's bringing, and I smell the rain coming, so I'm going to go out there and start budding. And when I start budding, people are going to start in, getting influenced by the kingdom, and the house of God will flip the script. He'll flip it on us. Oh, but we got to start believing this thing. I'm smelling the water. And it's even true in America today. You know how in the springtime you walk outside, it's like, it smells like rain. What that actually is, it's not the rain, it's the plants opening up to receive the rain that's about to come and it lets off this fragrance. What if we're the stump that needs to open up and let off the fragrance of God wherever we go? And as we go out there, the fragrance of God begins to go out. And people say, well, what is that? The rain's coming. God's got something for your life. There's a word for you. There's an impartation for you. There's something that God has for you. There's a church for you that wants a place for you to belong right here with us. Well, I want you to come and I want you to be a part of it. I want to go get you. I'll pick you up. I'll bring you to Chick-fil-A. And you know God can still do miracles when there's a Chick-fil-A in Sulphur Springs. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And if he'll bring a Chick-fil-A to a place... <laughs> Come on. I had to get some of y'all back on track. Thank you. If he'll bring Chick-fil-A to a place, I'm telling you, what can he do with his word? What can he do? Some of you are at the place in your marriage where you need to underline that word yet because the smell of rain's coming. The smell of water's here. You need to get drowned in it. 
some of your kids and you're struggling with it so much you need to underline that word yet yet at the scent of water listen go home and talk to your kids bedroom they ain't even gonna be in there hey you're gonna change because this bedroom is gonna be be filled with the presence and the fragrance of God hallelujah this house is gonna be filled with the presence and the fragrance of God hallelujah and for those of you who don't come to church here very often I'm telling you there's life in your words go talk to some things go talk to some things yet at the scent of water it's gonna bud it will bud and put out branches like a young plant I want everybody to stand with me this morning God gave us a verse so that we could give it a voice it's how I started out my message God gave you a verse this morning a message this morning so that you can give it a voice when you leave this building my question for you is this all the stats that I read all the examples that I gave all the illustrations that were out there the good laughs that you had this morning are we so comfortable where we're at that we'll laugh in church while people are dying to go into hell right across the interstate that they don't even know about church and if they don't know about church they definitely don't know where 2560 is at and if they don't know where 2560 is at and they've never heard of church, they're definitely probably not your friend on Facebook because you circulate with your same crowds mostly. So it's going to take us being intentional. It's going to take us walking out of here with our eyes open. And so I want you to begin to pray, God, who is it that when I leave this place, you've got destined for me to walk into today? Today, not tomorrow. He'll give you somebody else tomorrow. He'll give you today your daily bread. There's somebody today outside this facility that's for you to reach, that's for you to touch, that's for you to pray with, that's for you to invite. It's going to take a 1,000 encounters to get 50 people in a discipleship walk. Let's have the first 100 encounters today right here when we leave this place. Some of you need your encounter this morning. Some of you need your encounter this morning. You need an encounter with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, any of these ministers around the auditorium will introduce you to Jesus Christ. Some of you need a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. Meaning you know that you're born again, but you're that stump. You're dry, you're dead, your roots are rotting, and it's like, I need to smell something. I need to smell the water. Go to some of these ministers. They want to lead you in a prayer. They want to bring you to a place of budding and flourishing. I want to invite a lot of you. I mean, I, I would love to see these altars packed with people who say, I'm just going to begin right now to pray for somebody. And you come to the altar and just pack out the altars with prayer. Praying for the lost in our city. Praying for the unchurched. Praying for the de-churched. Praying for the ones who don't know God. Praying for those who don't have an affiliation with God. This morning, if God's wanting you to take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome to do that as well. My question for you as I close, and I'll make this a quick question. When will May Day become my day? When will May Day, the crisis that's going on, when will I take responsibility for it? I'm not concerned about whose fault it is. I don't care how we got here. I don't care how bad the marriage is. I don't care whose fault it is. I don't care how you got there. I'm going to take responsibility because we are here. I don't care how the church got to this point. I'm not blaming people in the past. I'm not going to blame our church in the past. But I'm saying I see the crisis for what it is. And I'm going to make May Day. Today it becomes my day. And I'm taking accountability and responsibility to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. When I leave this facility, before I go to bed tonight, I will witness to somebody about the saving grace of my Savior Jesus Christ. It is my day today, right now. And my question for you is, when is my May Day going to become my day? 
because you can sit here and listen to this message all morning long but if you don't leave here today saying it's my day it's my day it's not your day and it can't we can't afford for it not to be your day it's the Super Bowl and we can't afford for you to have a bad game it's the championship we can't afford for you to miss it Father God I could talk all day on this because it's breaking my heart to see our city in this place so God I'm speaking on behalf of our church it's our day it's our day it's the day that TWBC rises to a place of evangelism, not just to see people born again, but we start leading people in what it's truly like to live a spirit-filled, holy life that honors and glorifies you, that goes out and we worship you outside of these walls and bring other people's inside of these walls to begin to get an encounter with you. God, today, do what only you can do because we're crying out Mayday, but declaring it's becoming my day. It's your time to respond. If you need Jesus, go to somebody. Come and pray for somebody who's lost. Come and take the Lord's Supper. Begin to move right now in three, two, one.